Hello, everybody. Hi. Thank you for joining me. Woo. Here we go. Winter solstice. Are you ready? Because uh, it's here. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Make yourselves at home. <laughs> Get comfy. Say hi in the chat. I would love to know who's here tonight. Um, or say hi in the comments if you're watching this from the future. Uh, we will get started shortly. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining us. And um, I highly recommend grab a beverage, grab a snack, get yourself comfy and cozy. You might want to grab a journal uh, or something to write with. Um, you might grab a tarot deck. You might grab your natal chart if you practice astrology. Um, you might light a candle and light some incense and make it a special occasion. So uh, do whatever you need to do to make it right or or keep washing dishes or cooking dinner or folding laundry or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, you know how you learn best, so make it good for yourself. Um, and as I said, we'll get started here in just a moment. Let a few more people trickle in. And we will begin. Um, this is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite holidays. Truly. I know everybody's like, oh my God, Samhain. Sounds cool. Samhain is cool. Samhain is cool. Uh, but so is Yule. <laughs> Samhain is cool, but so is Yule. All right. We just did that. Uh, <laughs> So, and, as I said, get yourself right, get yourself good, get yourself tucked in for the next two hours-ish, you know, whatever. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you never know um, what all is going to come to the surface of the cauldron <laughs> when we get into it. <laughs> hey, Purple Table Tarot. Hey, into the moon. I know who you really are, but you're, you're in disguise. You're <laughs> I will refer to you by your nom de plumes. <laughs> so glad to see you all here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, and, uh, it's five after. We're good enough. If people are late, they'll learn. Okay. Um, welcome. My name is Megan Angus, and this is uh, Yule, Winter Solstice, a six-week guide to the long night. Um, this class is being taught from unceded ancestral Duwamish territory, a.k.a. Seattle, Washington. Uh, if you are a fan of reparations, if you are a fan of correcting the wrongs of previous generations, and you live in the Puget Sound area, consider checking out the group Real Rent Duwamish. Uh, they are a nonprofit group uh, set up to collect rent from folks that live in the Puget Sound area who would like to pay rent to the Duwamish tribe um, because Seattle one of the richest cities in the country somehow can't figure out how to, uh, you know, get reparations to that tribe for this land where we make all this money. Um, they also have an incredible petition going at change.org uh, that is pushing to, um, to get federal recognition for the Duwamish tribe. It also doesn't have 
federal recognition. Again, very convenient. Um, so if you haven't signed that petition, please go sign it. They are pushing to get to 150,000 signatures, uh, and they are well on their way. Um, what else do I want to talk about before we get into the stuff? Uh, oh, there's a group that I uh, thought was really incredible last year. Um, I don't have a slide ready for them this year, but I want to mention them. I found them on Instagram. They are called Trans Santa. Uh, you can look them up through their Instagram account, or I believe they have a transsanta.com website. Uh, and this is a group that is getting uh, gifts, uh, supplies, um, and necessary items to trans youth, trans teens, um, who are otherwise not being supported in their homes. Um, that stuff is shipped anonymously. It's shipped securely to them and safely. Um, a lot of the kids that apply to this are in uh, dangerous situations. They have been kicked out of their families, kicked out of their houses, uh, and they do not have support. They have not built their communities up yet. Hi, Darlene. Thanks for coming. Um, so Trans Santa, highly recommend if you are a person who buys gifts for folks at this time of year. They are a really incredible group to support. Um, big fan. Big fan of Trans Santa. Okay. Um, a little bit of the spiel, uh, and then we'll get into the, the heart of it all. Um, we are going to talk about winter solstice for about two-ish hours, whatever. Um, if this isn't enough information for you and you want even more information, please join my Patreon. I think that there's a link in the description. I can't remember if I put one in there or not. <laughs> By the time you're watching the recording of this, I'll probably have made sure that there's a, there's a link. Uh, Megan Angus on, on uh, Patreon. Uh, and folks who join at the Venus level and higher, which is nine bucks a month and higher, get access to the workbook that I will be referring to throughout class. Um, there are uh, folklore pieces, there's history, there's science. We talk about the astronomy and the astrology of the season, uh, as well as a six to eight week calendar of all of the holidays, past, present, and future, perhaps, uh, that are celebrated during this stretch of time that we can think of as Yule season. Um, and folks that subscribe at the sun level and higher, that's $23 a month and up, can get seasonal readings with me to find out how to integrate this information into their personal lives. Folks that sub at the Jupiter level and higher, that's $66 and up, uh, can come and meet with me every month. Uh, my books are currently closed to the general public right now. Wild Bill, what's up? Hi. One of the best noise artists of this century. Wild Bill, if you need a little chaos in your life to complement the season of chaos. Um, but folks that work with me at that level, um, it's, it's, it's pretty great. As I was saying, my, um, uh, my books are closed to the general public currently. They will reopen again in 2023 at some point. Um, uh, my Patreon has exploded this year, and it's been very, very exciting. So thank you so much to all of my patrons and their incredible, ridiculous, wonderful, outrageous support because they make it possible for me to teach these classes for free uh, here on YouTube and have the recordings up for free. Um, I also have a weekly podcast called Spinning the Wheel. That also has grown in popularity this year in some surprising ways. That might be how you found out about this class. Um, 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, we talk about the holidays more in depth uh, in that weekly forecast or in that weekly podcast. It's kind of my weekly ritual that I do. Um, we talk about the astrology of the week, the lunar phase and phases that we are going to be dealing with for the week. Um, I give you a little witchcraft homework, um, some stuff to focus on and all of that good stuff. Uh, that too is free. We don't run ads on the podcast at this time anyways. Um, again, thanks to the tremendous support of my patrons. Um, feel free to drop a dollar in the tip jar uh, if you love the work that I'm doing and want to support it. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, Finally, I really do want to just say thank you again. And I'm probably going to say thanks again at the end of the video, um, at the end of the live stream. Uh, the support that I've received this year has been monumental. It's been really incredible. I'm very excited uh, to work with all of you and to continue doing this work that we're doing. Uh, paradigm busting, uh, breaking down those old philosophies that are no longer serving humanity and being brave in the instability and and the destabilizing events that follow that breakdown uh, and setting up future generations for for success for doing better than than we did um that's that's the work that's just witchcraft people that's all it really comes down to is just that <laughs> so thanks 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 so much to the folks that are taking that journey with me and doing that work with me okay let's get into it um this is Winter Solstice, a.k.a. Yule, a.k.a. The Long Night. Uh, this is our wheel that we work with, designed by my good friend Ryan Jack Allred. If you are looking for illustrations, check him out. Um, and uh, this is just a, a means of focus for us for a moment. Um, what are we doing? Where are we? What's happening? What is this whole thing all about? Winter solstice, uh, for those of us here in the Northern Hemisphere, is a pretty special time because we get to see our actual deity die. The sun literally goes and dies and is resurrected or reborn three days later. Now that's... A, that's a kind of a, there's a, like a there's a couple religions that are into that symbolism right <laughs> okay <laughs> if you've been working with me for a while you know the joke uh if you know you know um but this is this is the time of year where we see all or a lot of the natural systems around us here in the northern hemisphere slowly grind to a halt and stop and then begin again um, and so this is a very potent time for us. I think it's really important for us to understand that as far as we know, our species has only ever lived on this planet, right? <laughs> and, um, and this phenomenon, this planetary mechanic has been happening more or less the entire time we've been here. And when we talk about the entire time that we've been here, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of years, if not really millions of years, if we're thinking back through to our deepest ancestors, um, the hominids, right? Uh, the, the folks who first figured out how to walk upright and all of that good stuff and make tools and, and develop language and things like that, our deep, deep ancestors. Um, but the, the ancestors even before that 
um, the folks who were walking on four legs, right? The folks who climbed up out of the water, the single-celled organisms, our deepest ancestors, have been witnessing this biorhythmic system for literally millions and millions of years. And why I stress that uh, is because I think it's pivotal that we understand how deeply embedded that is in us and how deeply that affects our psychology, our physiology, our emotional world, um, our, our psychological makeup, all of that good stuff. Um, you know, that, that frantic urge that people feel at this time of year to go shop, that comes from <laughs> a frantic urge to acquire as many resources as possible before the long night takes place. Because we know on a very deep biorhythmic level in our organism, um, the world outside is not going to be too concerned with sustaining us and sustaining life for a couple few months. It is doing its own thing. And as we move back up through time toward the present day, what we see is millennia on millennia of humans attempting to understand this, make sense of it, um, plan for it, predict it, and explain it to other people, uh, teach it to other people. And that, in my opinion, is where we get our religions. <laughs> it's where we get our spiritual traditions, our folklore traditions, our myths, our great archetypes. They are representations of these massive forces that are doing this stuff in the universe. And we can interact with that information in whatever way we want to. Um, we have free will, right? So we can worship that information if we want to. Um, we can study that information. We can embody that information. Uh, and and it's, it's such a powerful collection of, of information. It's such a powerful collection of data. Um, but it's also a beautiful collection of stories and folklore and myths and symbolism. Uh, and, you know, and it is a... A myth that is told in one way or another in just about every religion that has existed on planet Earth. Not all, but just about every one of them. And, um, and so, let's talk about that stuff. Um, let's get into what we have going on. Uh, this is our Sabbath sign. Um, this is the this is a, a block print that I did a couple of years ago for some of my year long uh, students. Um, I will be bringing these back again in 2023. <laughs> um, these are symbols that come from modern paganism, and I have not been able to discover the originator of this collection of symbols for the Sabbaths. Someday, I hope I can. I hope I can find out who actually uh, came up with these things. I don't know who it is, <laughs> and I really wish I did know. Um, okay, so what is it that we're doing at this time of year? Again, we're witnessing the sun die and be reborn. We're witnessing this, this scientific system and this biorhythmic system of life shutting down and waking back up again. What's really amazing is on the opposite side of the planet for our folks in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, it's literally the opposite time of year. They are experiencing the longest days. They are experiencing the sun at the peak of its power. Uh, so 
always important to remember everywhere there's a yin, there's a yang, right? <laughs> everywhere there's an on, there's an off. Everywhere there's a black, there's also a white. Um, and uh, thanks for the sub. <laughs> By the way, I guess I should say that if you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do. Uh, like it, thumbs up, all that stuff. Thanks. Um, wherever there is an, a black, there's a white. Uh, and so for us here in the Northern Hemisphere, um, a lot of our work centers around the symbolism as well as the physical experience of the death and the rebirth of the sun. This planetary mechanic is dictated by a variety of things. Mostly it is dictated by the tilt of our planet. Uh, the planet's axis does not run straight up and down. It's at a tilt. I don't have my slides this year. I do have the science slides uh, in my last year's Yule class. <laughs> so if you want the imagery for that, go check out last year's Yule class. Um, but uh, but our, our planet is at a tilt. And as it makes its orbit around the sun, the northern pole is tilted towards the sun for a variety of the time, and it's tilted away from the sun for a variety of time. And at winter solstice, the northern pole is tilted the furthest away from the sun that it's going to be in our year-long orbit around the sun. What that does for us here on Earth is it makes it appear that the sun is rising lower and lower in the sky every day the closer we get to the day that we call, or the days that we call winter solstice. The word solstice is a Latin word-ish that means sun still or sun stillness. Sol, sun, stis, to sit or to be still. And when we are watching the sun rise on the eastern horizon and set on the western horizon here in the northern hemisphere, if we were to watch it every single day, we would see that every single day it moves further and further south on the horizon the closer we get to winter solstice. And every day, those days become a little shorter, a little shorter, a little shorter, and the nights become a little bit longer. It's the same on the western horizon. When the sun is setting, it's a little further to the south every day. Then, by the time we get to winter solstice, for, again, those of us that are here in the Northern Hemisphere, we see that the sun is as far south on the eastern and western horizons as it's going to get for the year. And it will rise and set on the eastern and western horizons in the same place three days in a row. And approximately around that same time, we will have the shortest days of the year and the longest nights of the year. I say approximately because those times don't actually line up. <laughs> Science, let's keep it as confusing as possible, right? Um, we celebrate them as the actual absolute shortest days and longest nights, but sometimes they are off by just a couple days. Uh, again, that's because of planetary mechanics, the tilt of the sun, where we actually are in our orbit, all of that good stuff. Um, but another phenomenon that we are experiencing on our planet at that same time of year is something called the perihelion. Uh, and there is also an aphelion. Uh, what that is, is the point where Earth in its orbit around the sun is either the closest to the sun or the furthest away. The sun 
is not positioned perfectly center of the Earth's orbit. The, or we could also say that the Earth's orbit is not a perfect circle around the sun. It's an oval shape, a little bit more of an oval shape. Um, and uh, and this means that, the and, and also I should say, that the sun is a little bit to one side of the oval. And so interestingly enough, you would think because it's colder that we are at the furthest point in our orbit away from the sun at winter solstice. In fact, we are at the closest point uh, to the sun in our orbit at winter solstice. And so I think one of the most beautiful metaphors that we experience here at winter solstice and Yule season is here in the dark at, at the moment of death, we are actually the closest to the light. How about that? Um, way out in July, around July 4th, oddly enough, we are the furthest away from the light. Do with what you do with that metaphor, what you will. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, this year's uh, Parahelion is January 4th. We'll get to it. It's in the sky guide. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Um, but this is our cycle of the death and rebirth of the sun. We have those three days where the sun rises and sets on the eastern horizon, the western horizon in the same place three days in a row, more or less shortest days, longest nights of the year. And then the sun slowly begins to creep north along the eastern and western horizons all the way up to uh, fall, or excuse me, uh, summer solstice in June. Uh, and at that point, the sun will be rising at the most northerly points on the eastern and western horizon. We will have the longest days and the shortest nights. Uh, the sun will rise right over our head and arc across. Um, and again, solstice, right? Summer solstice. So we will have the sun rise and set in the same place in the most northerly uh, position three days in a row, and then it will slowly begin to creep south again, and those days will begin to shorten. So <clears throat> in all of our symbolism, when we think of all of our great gods and goddesses that either have underworld journeys at this time of year, or literally die and are resurrected, or they die and are reborn or born, uh, because we have all of those versions in our myths at this time of year, uh, that's what we're talking about, is the great source of light and heat that is in our sky. Taking a vacay for a minute and then cruising back again. <laughs> and so in that, we also have a return to source. We also have this sense of, uh, you know, coming down to the, the bottom of the thing and then rising back up again or going to the deepest point of something and coming back again and um, re imagining and reconnecting and, um, you know, re, re-emerging from the dark. Source can mean a lot of stuff for a lot of people. So perhaps this is, uh, source is literal deities that you work with. Perhaps source is ancestor work that you're doing at this time of year. Perhaps source is self. And this is a time of year for you to reconnect with your deepest values, your deepest goals, um, you know, who you uh, see yourself as, as a person, you know, underneath all of the, the whatnotery of the modern world. <laughs> um, maybe it is um, wisdom 
traditions that you connect with deeply. But this is an incredible time of year for coming back to that stuff and reconnecting to your fundamentals and your foundations in all of those things. Uh, and reconnecting can look like lots of different things. Um, there's a million billion different traditions on planet Earth around how people reconnect to source um, or return to source. And so, um, you know, I highly recommend checking out traditions that are a part of the religions or the spiritual practices or the philosophical practices that you work with, but also it's a great time to create traditions too and invent traditions for yourself, for your community, for your family, you know, whoever those people are, all of that good stuff. Okay. Hibernation. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> if only. Uh, yes, absolutely. Let's have some hibernation. Um, hibernation what? Hibernation why? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have to explain that too much. It's pretty obvious, right? The sun is going away. The days are short. The nights are long. It's cold outside. Uh, depending on where you are, the weather might just be a bit colder all the way to fatally colder, right? Like mortally colder. Um, lots of portions of the planet get snowed in to a point where it's literally, you know, you stay inside for days or even weeks at a time and then eventually kind of knock some snow out of the way and go outside. Um, so there is obviously a physical encouragement here in the Northern Hemisphere for literal physical hibernation. We see that in animal systems. Um, we see, uh, you know, migratory patterns as well uh, as we could think of a type of hibernation, not, not scientifically really accurate there to say it that way exactly, but, um, but we see lots of, uh, lots of birds and lots of other animals, lots of insects move to a different part of the world. Uh, where it's warmer, where it's lighter. Um, and then we also see lots of animals, lots of different species go underground. And they just, if they don't literally hibernate and sleep for weeks or months at a, t at a time, they are much lower and slower in their activity levels. There's only a few hours a day that they might be active and the rest of the time they're tucked away in their safe little abodes um, under the snow, kicking it waiting for stuff to mellow out a little bit and warm up and get brighter again. Um, but we also see the earth itself go into a type of hibernation. We see our deciduous trees die off or go dormant. Um, we see our, uh, you know, most of our plants, most of our veggies, most of our fruits, uh, most of our nut bearing and bean bearing uh, and animals, sure, <laughs> or plants, <laughs> stop producing uh, vegetation, right? They stop producing fruits. They stop producing veggies. Um, and flowers, for the most part, are not growing. Although there are some things that do grow and produce during winter. And those plant helpers are very, very special to us because there's some of the few that stick around to help us stay alive. So thanks, beets. Thanks, kale. <laughs> Appreciate you. Um, but, uh, but they also, we find, feature prominently in a lot of our myths. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, trees being kind of a big deal at this time of year in some of the holiday traditions, but evergreens... Uh, kind of a big deal <laughs> at this time of year. Um, and we find that evergreens are a plant that features prominently in myths throughout the Northern Hemisphere um, 
indigenous groups, Western traditions, Eastern traditions, all have a myth, a folk tale, or a deity that incorporates evergreens in some way here at winter solstice because those are the trees that live year-round and kind of you know can handle this big significant weather change along with this there is also a massive celebration of the light because it has died and then it is reborn and it begins to return um, and that's kind of a big deal for some of the people around the planet <laughs> especially if you're like into you know doing things or growing food or like seeing uh, or moving around on the earth in any way like light is kind of a big deal <laughs> and so uh, one of the things that we see as a folk tradition and a celebratory tradition again all over the northern hemisphere during this time of year are all of these celebrations of light light being incorporated in the various celebrations at Yule and throughout Yule season, right? When is the most traditional time of year to hang up our our twinkle lights? It's this time of year, right? Um, we see uh, goddesses and archetypes like Saint Lucia um, or Lucy um, with her crown of candles that she wears and on and on and on. We also have several um, meteor showers that happen at this time of year. This is something that we will find throughout the year as we work the wheel um, that uh, meteor showers, ancestor work, and uh, holidays or celebrations of light or lamp lighting uh, festivals all seem to coincide with each other. A lot of really beautiful symbolism was woven together there. Okay, and along with all of that stuff, we have a lot of magical traditions, witchcraft traditions, spell crafting traditions based in purification, protection, and divination for the community. What's that all about and why? Okay, well, the why is because we are still very much in a season of chaos. We are in a season of dissolution and undoing even though the sun is born again or born or reborn or whatever our symbolism is that we're working with it's still going to be a minute right before it's actually warm again before the earth actually begins to produce uh fruit and veg again before the animals actually come back and begin mating again and producing their offspring it's going to be a little while and so when we think about the wheel as a as a continuous process we want to roll it back a little bit to the work that we're doing in Samhain season right Samhain is what leads us up to the moment of Yule in fact I think that it's very appropriate to think of Samhain as the precursor to Yule we literally are celebrating Samhain right up to the moment of the rebirth because Samhain is about the death of earth and the death of the sun and that's sort of hailed for the eight weeks or so of Samhain season. That energy only shifts after winter solstice actually occurs and the days literally begin to get longer and the sun literally begins to rise higher in the sky. And so even though we see that shift happen and we know that light is on the way and heat is eventually on the way and then ultimately life will eventually return to uh, planet earth for now 
that's not the case. And, uh, and that is a big part of why we have so much of our spooky uh, symbolism and myth that we work with during Samhain season is really sort of to kind of, like get us prepared for the psychological journey of the dark. This is the underworld journey that our great gods and goddesses go on. Um, this is it. This is literally it. And we are also going on it as well. And so purification rituals happen because we're stepping into a new season, winter. Uh, we're leaving fall and moving into winter. We're doing purification rituals because we are in many ways starting a new cycle. Lots of different groups begin their year at winter solstice. Here in the West, our calendar year starts 10 days later, right? So, you know, there's there's a lot there. Um, and And there is a sense of like, let's let go of just about all of the energy and the everything from the year before and sort of clean the slate for whatever it is that's about to come next with this next solar cycle. Let's clean the slate and clean the area for this new sun, this new light that is coming back to the world. So we purify ourselves, we purify our homes, we purify our, our lands, our animals, our holdings, you know, whatever that is in our, for you in the modern world as well. Um, and we allow this moment to kind of be a great reset for ourselves. Um, you know, and that's something that as a species, we've been experiencing in a pretty hardcore way over the last few years. Uh, we've had, you know, sort of the great reset here on planet Earth with COVID and uh, this moment of sort of everything shutting down and stopping, right? And then slowly sort of coming back to life. Whether we ought to or not, we are. Um, and so that symbolism is playing out here as well, right? Uh, that is that thing. Microcosm, macrocosm. <laughs> so purification is a really big deal at this time of year. Again, it's sort of like setting yourself up for the best... Uh, position to be in the best position to receive whatever it is that that's about to come in this next solar cycle but also protection protection because we've got a ways to go before stuff actually starts to get easier outside now here in our modern world we've got paved streets and we've got electric light and we've got heat at the push of a button and i can go grocery shopping at three in the morning if i want to right so there's a lot of stuff in my world, in the modern world here in the West, um, that sort of removes me physically uh, from the dangers or the or the um, the darkness of of uh, winter. But this is not the case in plenty of places around the world, and it has not been the case for very long. Um, or it has it has only been the case for just a little while. I guess I should say it that way. Uh, you know, this is relatively modern in in the course of human history right we started talking about our ancestors from millions of years ago we've had electric light for 150 years so there's still big parts of us in there that are like you know <laughs> we're going into the dark and it's spooky and we need to get ready for that um and again speaking to the imagery and the work that we're doing at Samhain season we are uh, we're seeing this um, this shift as something that 
isn't necessarily evil. It's not bad. It's not out to get us, but it is extremely apathetic towards us. Um, and it's harsh. It's difficult, right? Uh, you know, on a typical day, just to be able to go outside, we would have to bundle up in multiple layers of clothing. We would have to make sure that we have the proper footwear, that our extremities are protected and covered, and that, um, and then let's say we're going to go chop wood. Like anything could happen in that 50 yard walk through the snow out to chop wood just to be able to make sure that we're warm enough for the next 24 hours. That's also going to take a tremendous amount of energy to do that. Do we have enough food uh, to take care of ourselves while we expend that kind of energy, right? So protection magic, protection spellcrafting, really, really big deal for ancients and modern folk at this time of year. Um, and also a bit of, again, we don't know exactly what the next year is going to bring for us, right? <laughs> um my friend Jess pointed out the other day, uh, you know, around this time of year, you start to see all those posts on social media, usually of like, 2023 is going to be my year. And we both were laughing because we feel like we haven't seen any of those. And it's like people have sort of learned, like, I'm not, I'm not claiming the next year. <laughs> not really sure what's going to happen next year. And I don't know that I want to say that it's my year. <laughs> I've kind of learned better. <laughs> And so there's that too, right? There's a sense of like, we're cleaning and purifying and making space for whatever could come, but we're also protecting ourselves from whatever could come. <laughs> so, because again, we've been doing this for millions of years and we know that sometimes that turn around the wheel is a, is a rough turn. It's a, it's a difficult one. And so, because we don't know what's coming, divinatory practices are also very, very important at this time of year. Lots of people do year-long readings. Lots of people pull tarot cards. Lots of people throw runes or shells. Um, lots of folks are, you know, paying attention to the astrology, etc., etc., to try to figure out what is coming and how best can I be prepared for that and how can I prepare my people for that to take advantage of whatever goodness might be coming to protect myself from whatever funkiness might be coming all of that stuff and so a lot of our witches work at this time of year is centered on divinatory practices to try to get a sense of what's on the way and how do I deal with that all right so other names for this holiday Almost. We can almost party like it's 19, 2019. Almost. <laughs> ah, the before times. <laughs> remember, guys? Remember, folks? Remember the before times when people would just, like, shake hands and hug? <laughs> remember when people would just, you know, pass a joint around at a, at a show? Didn't even know them. <laughs> remember? It was wild. Lifts were only $5. It was a crazy time. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> other names for this. Yule, Yule. Uh, this is just another spelling of Yule. But Yule means the wheel. And so this is one of those holidays where we sort of are taking a, a step back and thinking about the meta of timekeeping. Um, one of the things that I often say about this holiday is... If there is a start and stop on a wheel, this might be the holiday that celebrates that. Um, in Old Almanacs, uh, Yule 
Y-U-L-E or J-U-L was represented by a wheel on the calendar. So there is this sort of reminding yourself of like, here we go again, right? Here we're doing this again. Um, other names, the Night of Mothers. Uh, this is also a uh, Modregnacht uh, in German. I'm, I probably mispronounced that. Sorry, Germans. Um, this is a pagan tradition uh, similar to Twelfth Night. Uh, Robert Graves uh, talks about the stations of the goddess that might have been the precursor to Twelfth Night. Um, and this is marking several days and stations of the goddess as the mother of the returning light. So if we think about this light that is born anew, born again, or being resurrected, again, whatever our metaphor is that we're working with, whatever myth system we're working with, that light is coming from somewhere. It's not generally just existing by itself or suddenly occurring all by itself. There is a great force behind the occurrence of this light or the reappearance of this light. And that great force is the great mothers of our pantheons, the great goddesses. Uh, they are often progenitrixes, meaning that that uh, they don't get pregnant through someone else or the their their ability to give birth to this goddess is, or this god, excuse me, this, this solar deity is self-contained. They're able to do it to themselves. Um, whether they have no gender or they're a femme gender, um, they are often able to generate it within themselves and then produce this light in the world. But also some of our greatest um, myths and, and symbols from uh, paganism, especially within Wicca, is centered on the idea that uh, the Holly King and the Oak King are the consorts of the great goddess and they take turns knocking sacred boots with her or them and uh, she does literally get pregnant by one or the other of them and then the other is the product of that which you know a little incest a little little weirdness there never hurt anybody the Egyptians were doing it too don't get weird so <laughs> don't, don't get crazy with me it's all symbols guys calm down um Squee, never thought you, oh, yay, here I am. Yes, and here you are. Yay, I'm glad you're here. Awesome, awesome. Yay, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Awesome, very cool. Um, so the Night of Mothers is is a, an acknowledgement of the power behind the return of the light. Who or what is it that's causing this? Um, and those mothers, again, are the great goddesses of all of our pantheons. It's Isis. It is... Hera, but it's also Frau Hole, it's also Bruma, it's on and on and on. Um, just about all of the goddesses uh, have a hand in the returning of the light in one way or another, which is pretty cool. Not all the goddesses, but just about all of them. <laughs> um, and so we also have names like Long Night or Midwinter. Um, and, you know, again, these are sort of acknowledging the literal uh, physical phenomenon of the holiday of the moment. Uh, Kalada is our Slavic name, which sort of means like calendar. Um, and again, sort of hearkening to that idea of the wheel. And this is a timekeeping or a time marking moment. And Alban Arthen from our Druid friends. Uh, Andriolan from our Welsh friends. Um, Mian Gimbrid from our Scottish friends. So uh, these are all again sort of calendar time marking places. 
And that leads me to um, talking about or thinking about um, Saturnalia, another holiday that is celebrated at this time of year, which we'll talk about more here in just a second. But Saturnalia, uh, from our Roman friends and ancestors, um, really speaks to a bunch of the stuff that we've just talked about. The chaos of, of Samhain leading into Yule, the rebirth, uh, the boundary of time. Um, and, and what really amounts to sort of a time out of time moment at this time of year. The days are very short. The nights are very long. Uh, and everything sort of starts to blur together, right? It's very easy to kind of go from dark to dark to dark to dark, uh, especially if, you know, you're working a 40-hour week or you're going to school full-time. You may literally never see the sun, uh, depending on how high up you are on the planet, closer and closer to the North Pole. You may literally never see the sun. Uh, and so this time can have a timeless quality about it. And in Saturnalia... Um, Part of what Saturnalia was for was sort of a a gap-filling moment from the end of the various calendars that the Romans followed. They followed three, just to keep it real confusing. From the end of that to when winter solstice would actually hit and they could begin the new calendars again. Um, it was a way of resyncing themselves up to the solar cycle. Um, and so we are sort of drifting in the dark at this point in the year and just waiting it out and, and, and waiting to see what happens next. <laughs> no big deal, right? Okay. And before I move on to this, um, let, me, let me read from the book. The goddess is crone, but also life in death. She sits as immortal embodiment of pure wisdom, immortal tradition, and lived experience. The place where the divine spark is born. If she bears any children, they are either extensions of herself or light beings, often wearing a golden or shining crown, and they have a radiance around their head and are often symbols of enlightenment and the major deity of their system or their pantheon. The sun lover of the goddess, the Holly King, is dead. Uh, and the sun lover, the Oak King, is reborn. The bright twin, the Holly King, excuse me, the Oak King, <laughs> born in the darkest part of the year, heralds the eventual return of the sun. It's all uphill from here. And so begins another cycle of the eternal ebb and flow between these two archetypes. Okay, so moving into these global themes. This stuff that we've talked about is echoed throughout time and, as I said, around the planet. We see this stuff reiterated in almost all of our uh, uh, religions, spiritual traditions, philosophical traditions around the planet. Again, important to note, not all. Uh, Islam, for example, is not celebrating winter solstice specifically right now. They move on a very different calendar and their holy days follow a very different cycle from a solar cycle. 
So not everyone is doing this right now. Just a lot of folks are doing it. Um, okay. So as we look around the globe um, and throughout time, we see cultures all over the Northern Hemisphere participating in rituals and festivals around this quarter holiday, celebrating things like rebirth, transformation, ancestors, enlightenment, wisdom, and the birth of solar deities. So we've talked a lot about what pagans are doing. Um, in some of my previous classes, you can check the other recordings that I have here on YouTube. I get way more into the folk traditions of what we're doing at this time of year. This year, I, I wanted to go in this other direction. So and, and that's partly because there's so much to talk about. I can't get it all in in two hours. So I just, you know, you never know what's going to come up. Um, but, uh, but these types of themes um, that pagans are working with, that witches are working with... Um, uh, we see echoed throughout time and through lots of other spiritual and philosophical traditions. Seven C Mystic, unfortunately, just sliding in the front door. I'm so sorry. Yay, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Yay, thanks for being here. Better late than never. Better late than never. Uh, just like the sun, right? <laughs> like, just come back. That's all we ask for. Just come back. <laughs> so, looking throughout time, what other holidays do we see celebrated at this time of year? Well, specifically on the winter solstice itself, we see holidays like obviously the birth of Jesus Christ. Not sure if you're familiar, but it's a Christian deity, very obscure. Um, they have a little celebration called Christ Mass, Christ Christmas, Christmas. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but also the birth of Horus, from our ancient Egyptian friends and ancestors, the birth of Mithra from our Persian friends and ancestors, um, uh, Toji Tasai from our Shinto friends and ancestors. We have Dies Natalis Sol Invicti from our Roman friends and ancestors, which again, Dies Natalis, the birthday, Sol Invicti, the, the victorious or invincible sun. Um, Soyal, from our Zuni and Hopi friends and ancestors, recognizing the Kachina at this time of year. Um, Yaldara, also from our Persian friends and ancestors. Diwali, uh, excuse me, a Divalia from our, also from our Roman friends and ancestors. Again, all literally recognizing the birth of these great solar entities, either being born, being born again, or coming back from the lands of the dead. Uh, this is, again, as I said before, the underworld journey. And this is the return portion now from the underworld journey. And let me, let me take a second with that imagery, because we talk about this phrase, the underworld journey, a lot, especially during Samhain season. But it is not contained necessarily to Samhain season. And different groups work with the idea of the underworld journey on different timelines. So... Explore this concept, work with it in whatever way like works for you, but, you know, give it a, give it a little study because it really is a cool concept. It's a cool thing. Some traditions have the underworld journey run throughout Samhain season. It starts at Samhain uh, and sort of almost concludes at Yule, but really sort of concludes at Imbolc, which is February 1st, 2nd. Uh, some groups think of the underworld journey as literally just the three days of Yule. Some groups work with the underworld journey as starting at fall equinox 
and running all the way through the following spring equinox. So literally that six months. So work with that energy however you like. Um, but this, this is that, this is that thing. And winter solstice marks the deepest, darkest part of the underworld journey, the lowest part, uh, the, st the most still part, the quietest part, and the beginning of the ascent. As I said, it's all uphill from here. So other holidays that we see around this time of year that incorporate all of these different ideas, rebirth, transformation, but also chaos. I don't have that on the list, but chaos is still in the mix. God is blessed. Um, as I say during Samhain season, make room for chaos or chaos will make its room. <laughs> we have holidays like Krampusnacht. Hey! <laughs> right? Um, we have the Feast of St. Lucina or St. Lucy uh, from our Catholic friends and ancestors, which I believe is happening today. Um, we have the Feast of Babalu Aya from our Yoruba friends and ancestors um, way out. Uh, well, that's actually last week. Um, uh, oh, no, excuse me. It's December 17th. Um, so it's coming up here. Um, we have Hanukkah at this time of year. We have Kawanza at this time of year. Um, we have Watch Night from our Christian friends and ancestors. Um, Hadnashani uh, from our Iroquois friends and ancestors out in um, January. Uh, Makara Sankrati from our Hindu friends and ancestors. Um, and the Feast of Janus Bifrons from our Roman friends and ancestors. And Janus Bifrons literally means Janus of two faces. And this was a deity that was sort of an iteration of Jupiter, but sort of their own deity uh, that literally had two faces, one facing the past and one facing the future. And so it is a deity that actually represents that moment where the two years meet together and the energy is moving in one direction and then the energy is moving in the other direction. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, other stuff that we're seeing at this time of year um, from our Buddhist friends and ancestors uh, slash Hindu friends and ancestors, we have uh, Gita Jayanti. Uh, this is the birth of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, so literally the birth of the book itself, speaking to that idea of uh, enlightenment and wisdom as a thing itself being born or reborn at this time of year. Um, we have, again, Saturnalia, as I mentioned before. And... Um, yeah, this is a Roman festival celebrating the reign of Saturn, a.k.a. Kronos, the god of time, um, the god of vegetation, god of death and boundaries and rebirth. Um, people in various classes would switch positions, and so uh, rich people would would um, serve their servants, and servants were, you know, sitting at, in the high seat and, and things like that. Gifts were exchanged, and that's really um, part of uh, Saturnalia is this holiday, Divalia, where people would make um, clay statues of various deities and give them as gifts. But also prank gifts were often given at this time of year, like joke gifts were often given. Uh, masks were worn, uh, pranks were pulled. Some people think that our winter time carnival or um, carnival traditions, carnivalia traditions that we see around the planet, they may have been born out of Saturnalia. There's definitely traces of one and the other, absolutely. But we want to remember that carnival is something that's celebrated at a few different times of year. There's also summertime carnivals, um, and they wouldn't necessarily be connected to Saturnalia. But um, but our modern wintertime carnivals may actually be rooted in Saturnalia and other holidays like it. Um, 
Krampus Knocked, of course, we can't not talk about Krampus Knocked, even though it's already passed. It's generally December 5th every year. Um, this is a European but now global tradition uh, falling between Samhain and Yule, uh, featuring Krampus, everybody's favorite, a troll like demon that terrorizes children and punishes sinisters by whipping them. That's right. You didn't think we were going to get out of here with a little freaky, kinky uh, nastiness. No, no, no. This is Seattle, people. <laughs> and we're all doing something foul. Okay. <laughs> He represents the old dying god, like Krom Dub, uh, a deity that we talk about during Lunasad and Mabin season. Um, and the energy of life and death, order and chaos, trading places. Um, and so that's a big part of why I'm a big fan of Krampus. Not just the whipping, not just the whipping, okay? But also, because it's such a great... <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because it's such a great um, a collection of all of the stuff that we're working with at this time of year. And that idea of order and chaos dancing with each other and trading places and moving back and forth. Um, so y'all, again, from Arzuni and Hopi friends and ancestors, this is a winter solstice ceremony for them. The peaceful ones, the Paphos, uh, prayer sticks are made to bless people, their homes, their animals, their plants. Um, and sacred underground ritual chambers called kivas are ritually opened to mark the beginning of the Kachina season. Um, and I only know a little bit about it, um, so I highly encourage you to go study on your own um, that really cool stuff. Um, Toji Sasai from our Shinto friends and ancestor. This uh, day marks the friend, excuse me, the end of the sun's decline, the yin period, and the beginning of the growth or yang period. In Shinto spirituality, the sun is Amaterasu uh, Omikami, which is a beautiful solar goddess. Um, and the guiding spirit of the Japanese people. You see the Japanese flag with that big red circle? That is Amaterasu. Um, so they have their sun goddess right on their flag. And then Parahelion happens at this time of year. And I, I know I mentioned that before. We we'll talk about it now. Um, Parahelion is um, uh, that point where um, we are the closest to the sun. The moment in the Earth's orbit, it comes closest to the sun. Here in the cold darkness of winter, we are at the closest point to the warm, brilliant heart of our solar system. Um, so how long have people been marking this stuff? We don't know, but at least 10,000, 11,000 years. Um, we know that at structures like Katol Hayuk, Gobekli Tepe, Karahan Tepe, all in Turkey, um, uh, there are markers for the winter solstice. And Karahan Tepe and Gobekli Tepe are loosely dated to 11,000 years uh, BCE or before current era or BP, before the present. Um, uh, and we find them throughout our megalithic sites. Um, just very, very briefly, uh, this is um, the medicine wheel in, big medicine wheel in Wyoming. This is Stonehenge, of course. Um, another shot of Stonehenge, um, a black screen. There we go. Hey, come back here. There we go. Um, let me go to this picture. Wait, no, go back. Thank you. No, go back. My Lord. So fussy. All right. It's not going to do it for us. Sorry. <laughs> 
every now and then things get a little wiggly with the uh, with the stream. Um, but uh, Big Medicine in Wyoming is a medicine wheel here in North America, and we know just by looking at the various markers uh, and the the objects in the sky that this wheel marks that this is a wheel that was in constant use for approximately the last 12,000 years. Where did the wheel stop? Colonization. You can literally see, you can literally mark the year and the month <laughs> because of where the fixed stars are and where the moon is marked uh, on the wheel as to when um, it, the folks there were killed and uh, the, the um, attendance to that wheel stopped. But that's a, a megalithic site that's built with lots and lots of small stones that can be picked up by hand and moved. And so that wheel was adjusted over time to move with uh, the zodiacal precession and the lunar movement and fixed star movement and all of that stuff. So humans have been paying attention to this for a very, very, very long time. Um, and again, all, all scattered within our um, holiday systems that we work with. So, here is our sky guide. And this is uh, addressing a bit of our astronomy that we are going to experience at this time of year. As well as astrology. Um, I also try to include a few of the more important, in my opinion, oh, Heliacal risings um, of fixed stars uh, for folks who do uh, stellar magic, for folks who are practicing stellar magic or magic using stars. So we have kind of kicking off the season at December 2nd, the heliacal rising of Antares. Um, that word literally means anti-Aries. <laughs> I know, Aries, calm down. I'm Aries rising. Don't take it personal. Um, but it's because this, the constellation of Aries is at the most western point before it completely dips below the horizon and we don't see it again for a few months. Um, and then we have the Geminids or Geminides meteor showers. Uh, December 7th, we had our last full moon of fall. Um, from the 17th to the 25th this year, we are going to have the Ursids meteor showers and our new moon is going to be right around that same time. So the skies will be very, very dark as long as they're clear. Uh, you may have a really good chance of catching some meteor showers during, the, during that time period. Um, for Western astrology systems, December 21st, the sun enters Capricorn. Um, we have solar Yule um, and then our first new moon. And I'll get into the astrology around this uh, in our next portion, but we have a very interesting cycle presenting itself during Yule season this year. Uh, so one of the things that we experienced during Yule season, Yule proper, meaning after uh, December 21st, are the first new moons and the first full moons of winter season. Um, we also will have the heliacal rising of Nunki, which is found in the constellation of Sagittarius. The perihelion is January 4th. That shifts every year. It's usually found somewhere between January 2nd and January 7th. Um, we have our first full moon, which is a micro moon uh, at 16 degrees of Cancer. And we have a super moon coming up uh, at the end of the month, at the end of January, first um, our new moon will be a super moon at one degree, one degree of Aquarius. 
Um, so what's the deal with micromoons and supermoons? Uh, just like uh, our orbit around the sun is not a perfect circle and the sun is not perfectly centered uh, in our orbit, the moon's orbit is not a perfect circle around our planet and our planet is not perfectly centered in that orbit. And so the moon comes closer and goes further away from the earth as it orbits our planet. Micro moons are the points in uh, the moon's orbit where we are having a full or new moon and it is the furthest away that it can be. It will appear a few percentage points smaller in the sky. The difference is not too radical. I think the point where you can notice the biggest difference in terms of a micromoon or a supermoon, and a supermoon being when it's the closest that it's going to get in its orbit, and so it's a bit bigger in the sky, is when it's near the horizon, when we're actually watching the moon rise. Uh, the, um, the new moons, most people don't pay attention to because you can't see the moon. But I pay attention to them because of witchcraft. Uh, <laughs> I like to know when the moon is a little bit closer and a little further away uh, just to understand its energetic influence. But also, whether it's a full moon or a new moon, when the moon is closer, it does affect our tides. So it does actually affect uh, like physical systems here on the planet. Just a science, people. It's cool. Pay attention. Um, all right. So that's our sky guide. That's been up for a second. Um, so everybody can take a screenshot of that. It's also in the uh, Patreon bag of holding for folks that are subbed at the Venus level and higher. But there's a bit of information for you. All right, let's move on. Okay, to some astrology. So these are the constellations that we are moving through at this time of year. Actually, we'll get to the real astrology here in a second. These are the constellations that we are more or less moving through at this time of year. You can see Scorpio way down here in the corner, the last few bits of Scorpio. Uh, we see the um, galactic center here, and that is actually the center of our galaxy, that spiral drawing. No, <laughs> um, but truthfully, uh, the constellation of Sagittarius is a centaur shooting an arrow, and that arrow is literally being shot into the center of the galaxy where there's all this radiant light coming from. And then just behind Sagittarius, which way am I pointing? There we go. Just behind Sagittarius, we have Capricorn coming up on the eastern horizon. Um, now, side note to the side note, queen of the tangents, if you're new here, there's always a tangent. Um, are we literally passing through these constellations? No. What's happening is it looks like the sun is passing through these constellations from where we are on Earth. So there's that, number one. Two, is the sun actually passing through these constellations? I mean, in appearance, right? No. Uh, and this is a part of why I'm including Scorpio in this list. Um, the sun if we were to actually be able to see the stars or the constellations behind the sun, if we could see the sun and the constellations at the same time, we would see that the sun is deep in Scorpio and then is going to make its way through some of Sagittarius and maybe a little tiny bit of Capricorn before we get into Imbolc season, AKA Aquarius and Pisces region. We are still going to be moving well through Capricorn during the time period that we on Earth, in the and those of us that are practicing the Western astrological tradition, are thinking that it's Aquarius season. Why is that? Well, 
because of something called the precession of the equinoxes or the zodiacal precession. You can read more about this on Wikipedia. Uh, yes, donate to Wikipedia. It's cool. Um, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. But also, um, it'll help you get those little uh, alerts off your website, <laughs> off your webpage. <laughs> but um, but uh, the, the pre-session, and I'm saying pre, not pro, uh, the pre-session of the equinoxes is a planetary mechanic that we can witness here on planet Earth over great swaths of time. And it is marked by the vernal equinox, a.k.a. spring equinox, Ostara. Uh, currently, <clears throat> in our Western astrology tradition and sort of in our cultural tradition in the West, we think of the sign of Aries, zero degree Aries, as being synonymous with the spring equinox, right? Spring equinox, March 21st, that's when the sign of Aries starts. But in fact... Uh, if we are looking through the lens of astronomy, that is not the truth. The sun is actually uh, near the very beginning of Pisces. And it is in the next couple hundred years going to slowly move backwards into Aquarius. Backwards? What? Yes, because everything has to be as confusing as possible. Uh, <laughs> this whole system moves backwards, not forwards. Um Hence why we say the word pre-session, not pro-session. We're not proceeding through the signs. We're preceding. We're moving backwards through the signs. Or we can also say the zodiacal pre-session, meaning we are preceding through the zodiac. We're going backwards through the zodiac. Um, so 2000-ish years ago, the spring equinox moment which is our halfway point in our orbit around the sun between winter solstice and summer solstice, equal night, equal day, lined up with zero degrees of Aries. But it does not anymore. And that system is constantly moving through time. That is a cycle that takes place over the course of about 26,000-ish years. It takes our sun approximately... 2,300 to 2,600 years to move through any constellation, give or take. Why is there some wiggle room there? Well, because one, we're talking about gigantic swaths of time, and two, there's always conjecture on where exactly a constellation starts and stops. What stars exactly are incorporated in what constellation? Astronomy has its ideas. Astrology has its ideas. So there's a little wiggle room in between the constellations. Can we see this pattern through time? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Where have we been? Well, as I said, we're actually in the sign of Pisces when we talk about this stuff. And think about one of the great massive uh, religions that is here uh, on the planet, Catholicism, and what is one of the major symbols that they use to acknowledge Jesus? A fish. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think it is. And if we roll backwards through time, we think about uh, the Hebrews, for example. Uh, they depicted Moses with ram's horns for quite some time. The Egyptians had Amun-Ra, which was a variation of Ra, the sun god. 
also depicted with ram's horns, that would have been when the sun was in the sign of Aries. We go back further than that, and let's think about all of the cow-headed goddesses that we see. That would be the time when the sun and the vernal equinox was in Taurus, and back and back and back. Uh, this is part of why some folks, if we push back far enough, think that the Sphinx actually had a lion's head before it had a pharaoh's head, and that it may have actually been carved somewhere around eleven to 12,000 years ago when the vernal equinox was in Leo. Um, take that information with a grain of salt. Uh, a lot of the other stuff that comes with that information is really crappy, but um, it's very like a lot of, a lot of erasure there. Um, but, uh, but that is the precession of the equinox. And so currently we are at the very first degrees of Pisces and we are about to move backwards into Aquarius, AKA the song, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I go into this in this holiday because this is a timekeeping holiday. This is a moment for us to reconfigure and recalibrate and really think about, are we in alignment with the stuff? You know, where's the gap period? Where can we get back in alignment with the solar process? So coming back to our constellations, these are the constellations symbolically that we are working with, but it's a lot of Scorpio and it's a lot of Sagittarius, even though for us in Western astrology, we're thinking about Capricorn season. Um, so there's that. Uh, these are our fixed stars um, that folks are working with. They are also not exactly in alignment with these constellations anymore. I know, I know, what? It's madness, okay. <laughs> it's crazy talk, um, but very important, I think, to note that Sagittarius is uh, pointing, shooting its arrow into uh, the galactic center. Why? Because my son's in Sagittarius, and I think it's cool. So we're going to talk about it. <laughs> All right. So now let's get into our astrology a little bit. Oh, I should say that in the astronomy section of uh, the workbook, there is a big old list of full moon names for December and January. There's some full moon uh, myth uh, and folklore, um, and there's the list of our constellations and our fixed stars that we work with, as well as other uh, other events that are happening at this time of year. So for our astrology this year, um, uh, I normally wouldn't talk about this, but I think it's kind of cool. So I want to talk about this, and um, I think it's a big deal. Something that we are going to see during Yule season this year is... Uh, that the sun is going to move into a sign and then 24 hours later, we are going to have the new moon in the same sign. So here in December, in another week or so, the sun is going to move into Capricorn and then a day later, we're going to have the new moon in Capricorn. And then in January, the sun is going to move into Aquarius and a day later, we're going to have our new moon in Aquarius. And that's really cool because Yule in some ways is an ending holiday, an ending season. It's a, it's a part of the like wrapping up before we approach spring and that new thing. But in another way, it's a starting season, right? The sun is dying and being reborn. And so it's coming back for its new solar cycle. Um, and so whatever symbolism we choose to work with here, we get a whole bunch of really interesting start moments with that 
sun going into the sign and then the moon going into the sign and having its new moon right afterwards. Very, very cool stuff. Um, work with that in whatever way you want to. I would first and foremost listen to your intuition. Uh, you know, what are you moved to do with that kind of information? But, um, but also, uh, if you're, if you're like, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Um, use it as opportunities to get yourself into alignment with what you want to bring into this world in 2023. Um, and I'm going to do, uh, we're going to talk about this in our weekly podcast because I'm going to talk about the astrology, obviously, every week. Um, but I'm also going to create a, uh, a a podcast just for patrons that talks about the astrology of this coming year um, and the stuff that I think is important and cool to focus on. And we're going to talk about that system at, a, at, at length in, in, a, in a bigger context. Um, but... We, again, as I said before, we've been in this sort of great reset as a species um, for some time now. And uh, this is one of the micro moments of that, where on a personal level, we can really sort of recalibrate and really um, rethink, reorganize, um, and pivot a little bit uh, to make sure that we are pointing towards the goals that we actually want to hit, that we actually think are worth our while worth our energy, worth our drive. Um, and these new moons, these sun moon pattern moments line up like this for just a few months at the beginning of the year. Um, it doesn't happen all the way through 2023. So it's a very cool idea to work with. Whether you practice astrology or not, just try giving the metaphor a shake and see what it does for you, right? Uh, what is it to kind of recalibrate? What is it to rethink your goals? Um, and make sure that you're pointing in the direction that you want to be pointing in. Okay, so our sun has left, or is about to leave Sagittarius. We've already had our new moon in Sagittarius. We've already had our full moon in Gemini. I'm just a completist, so I wanted to include this information for you. Um, so here it is. Enjoy. Okay, uh, but let's move on to our Capricorn moon work. Um, as the sun moves through Capricorn, our attention will be pulled towards the responsibilities, our purpose, and the structures that make life possible. In these last days of Sagittarius season, there really is this sense of exploration, light, enlightenment, bringing, bringing new knowledge forward, all of that stuff. Um, and then when we center it into Capricorn season, it really is like, and how do I embody that? How do I embody this enlightenment that has been born or reborn in me and in the world? And again, think about everything that our species has experienced over the last few years. Uh, what have you learned, right? What uncomfortable truths have you come to accept are real about the world? Um, what beautiful truths have you come to accept that are real about the world? And in what ways... Can you incorporate that information going forward for this next solar cycle? Capricorn season helps us find a way to physically embody that stuff and actually live it in the physical world. Not just think about it, not just feel about it, not just philosophize about it, but embody it. Um, so our new moon in Capricorn is going to be December 23rd. And... Uh, if you're looking for, um, you know, a little ritual suggestion, here it is. Uh, we examine our feelings on ambition, powerlessness, 
uh, inclusion and exclusion, fairness and privilege, and we examine where we truly have agency and what's not worth fighting for, right? What systems exist in our world that do not deserve your power any longer? And as I said before, um, when we choose to divorce ourselves from those systems, it's still destabilizing and that's still scary. So we don't want to ignore the fact that we are ending ph philosophical traditions and systems or ending societal uh, systems that also are destabilizing our lives. Even though we know it's work that has to be done, it's still scary and that's okay. Like it's okay to be freaked out by that. Just be aware that you are freaked out. <laughs> so some journaling for our new moon in Capricorn. What is it to be excluded? What is it to be forgotten? Uh, journal on a time that you were included and journal on a time that you were excluded and how both of those things changed you. What, what effect did that have on you? And then our first full moon for winter and Yule season will be at 16 degrees of Cancer, uh, January 6th, 2023. Um, and some journaling exercises that might you might work with for that full moon are to journal your thoughts around goddessness in the context of the creatrix or the source or materia and what is wisdom and if at all possible moon gaze on this night we talk about this a lot on the podcast but anytime the moon is in the sign of cancer it is its strongest in terms of doing magical work spell crafting and any kind of witchcraft um and so any kind of magical work that you feel is appropriate during this time period, it's going to have some rocket power, supercharged boot to the ass level power behind it, especially this being our full moon in Cancer for the year. A great night, but also very traditional, great night to bundle up, fill the thermos with, you know, whatever your beverage of choice is and go out and gaze at the moon for a while and just... Just be with it, be with them for a while. Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit from the book for our astrology here. Let me clear my throat, as the kids say. As we move into the last weeks of fall and on into Sagittarius season, foggy nights, frozen mornings, and waning sunlight begins to guide us away from the jump shock of funhouse carnival mask death and into the real spirit of death. Stillness, void, and ultimately reunion with the source. We have either hit the reset button at Samhain or we hit it now. Time and life stop and take a couple of breaths and then begins again. Make sure that you take time to do the same. Our naked branches are encrusted in silver ice, glittering, frozen, stretching towards a blank sky. At winter solstice, the light hits its lowest point, which means it's only up from here. The Oak King has risen again with the reborn sun, sternly carrying the wisdom of the ages. The Holly King has frozen to death on some blasted ridge, 
hung up on thorns in his velvet frock while looking for berries out of season. We nurture and care for ourselves and our home, but more from a grim survival aspect than any warm instinct. We follow traditions, not from sentimental urge, but because this is what kept people alive last time. And the village faced winter again. We look across the wheel at the goddess, lounging in the warm, verdant abundance of the high part of the year. How far away she seems now. Winter may call on us to make some hard choices. The energy of Yule can drive us to focus on the function and the tenacity of a thing, with physical world security taking precedence over comfort or loving and inclusive solutions. Do not become hard like ice and stone during Yule, but have respect for their longevity. Consider what must be sacrificed by one who would be immortal and eternal. What heritages do you stand on? And so a way that you can incorporate this work or think about where this is hitting you on a personal level is if you have a copy of your natal chart, look at what houses or house is connected to the signs of Sagittarius and Cancer, excuse me, Sagittarius and Capricorn. The sun is going to be passing through here and our new moons are going to be here. And then you can also look at the signs of Gemini and Cancer and what house or houses are connected with those signs. That's where our full moons are going to be. And there's going to be some emphasis and some energy there as well for you. And that's going to be true every year. So you can think about that on a personal level. This is the stuff that comes up for me in Yule season. Maybe that's why it's a little easier for you or a little harder for you than your friends or other family members um, or a little weirder or a little more fun or whatever it is that comes up for you. That stuff. Okay. So now where are we at? Got a half, about a half hour left. Okay. Go us. I want to talk about our tarot. These are our tarot helpers. Oh, you know what? I should have shown you that, but I didn't. Oh, well, um, but I will show you this. These are our tarot helpers at this time of year. And uh, what a mix, right? Take a moment and check out this symbolism. Temperance connects us to the sign of Sagittarius. The Wheel of Fortune connects us to Jupiter the planet that is ruling Sagittarius. The world connects us to Saturn, the planet, the planetary ruler of Capricorn, and the devil connects us to Capricorn. Note the similarities between temperance and the devil, Sagittarius and Capricorn. Note the similarities between Jupiter and Saturn, aka the Wheel of Fortune and the world. Check it out. Isn't that wild? And think that these are the two joining points 
of the wheel, right? This is the old portion of the wheel and the new portion of the wheel. And the two cards that literally have wheels or ovals, just like our orbits, right there on the cards. Come on. Get out of Dodge. What are you... Ah! Witchcraft, people! It's so freaking cool. Come on, man. Like, get it. Get out of here. Okay. So these are our tarot helpers that we get to work with. There's some more tarot helpers I'll show you in just a second. Um, in, in the way that I like to work with tarot, I think of the major arcana as sort of being these big aha moments, epiphanies, big archetypal ideas, existential ideas, abstract sometimes uh, in their information. Big. Difficult, if not impossible, to actually embody. But inspirational, something to think about, uh, wisdom sources, if you will. And I think of the minor arcana, the suits, right? Ace through king, those cards. Those are the actual practical elements of tarot where we're going to literally embody the stuff that these cards are talking about. Um, and so we'll talk about the minor arcana that we can work with at this time of year in just a second. This deck that we're looking at here is uh, the Builders of the Aditum deck designed by Paul Foster Case. I love it. Uh, you can still get copies of this deck um, from the Builders of the Aditum. And the deck comes plain, it comes black and white, and you paint the cards uh, to develop a personal relationship with the symbolism on the cards, which I think is very, very potent. Um, and so let me, let me read this. At winter solstice, we can see the curve of time. If a wheel has an end and a beginning, it may be here. When we can see out across time, we can remember that this is all a grand cycle with a beat and a pulse and a flux. Nailed to the center of the wheel, we descend, we ascend, rinse, repeat. We are thrust into the fiery forge plunged into the quenching waters and then hammered over and over again. If we keep our eyes closed and we forget that this is an infinite cycle, we may grow scared and act out from a place of fear. But through repeated experience, through trial, we can learn about ourselves and the world. We let go of the things that weaken us. We adapt. We reconcile. Eventually, we have gained an earned wisdom and an understanding, and we remember that the devil and the angel are the same being. Our partner in the cosmic dance of existence, chaos, and order. The excitement of spiritual enlightenment is easily tarnished and, in fact, completely blocked out at times by the doldrums of real life. And existence can seem like a burden 
that grows heavier by the year. As we age and gain wisdom, we must fight off cynicism and discover a way to regain and keep alight our passion. It is easy to get lost in the struggle of life and to forget that we must find joy in our efforts. But without a little discomfort, a little dissolution, (laughs) a little disorganization, a little chaos, we may never be motivated to evolve up and out of what has been handed to us. And without restriction of the personal will and the base urges of the animal mind, we will never advance as a species. Somehow, we must find an accord between our finite and our infinite selves, between ourselves and the community and the cosmos at large. So a story that I think of often at this time of year is the Persephone myth, um, the Ishtar myth. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the Ishtar Inanna myth this year. Um, so Ishtar, Inanna, Sumerian, Babylonian goddesses that are sort of iterations of each other. And, uh, this goddess, uh, a variety of things are happening on earth. Um, but she is called for various reasons, depending on which myth you're reading, she's called to go into the underworld and go deal with her twin sister, Ereshkigal, who controls the underworld, who lives literally at the bottom of space-time. And as she goes down, as Inanna Ishtar goes down, descends into the underworld to go meet with her sister, um, she meets various people. She meets various guides and sort of protectors, overseers of the various areas of this. And every one of them says, if you want to pass through this gate, you got to give up something. And so she ends up passing through seven gates and gives up seven things. Seven, of course, is a very magical number. It relates to the seven alchemical metals, the seven chakras, the seven ancient planets. Um, There's lots of seven systems out there. And in that way, she's acknowledging those elements, right? She's acknowledging those pieces of her, the Venus in her, the Saturn in her, the Mercury in her, the sun, the moon. And she gives that up. Because these are also sort of dressings of the, of the conscious world, of the, of the up here world, right? The physical world. They're trappings. They're, they're illusions and glamours that we put on ourselves as a means of understanding ourselves and, and communicating what we think that self is to other people. And as she moves down into the underworld, these entities strip that stuff away. So that by the time she reaches the bottom, she's completely naked. In other words, she is her raw self. She is her most authentic self with no artifice, no nothing. And there she meets Ereshkigal, who in various myths uh, gives her a drink that puts her to sleep, 
or kills her. And in one myth, she hangs Inanna Ishtar on a meat hook. On another myth, she literally lays her down on the ground and puts her hand on Inanna's chest and literally makes her be the lowest entity in the universe. Nothing is lower than Inanna Ishtar in that moment. And she keeps her there for, say it with me, three days. In the meanwhile... Life up on planet Earth has gone haywire, right? <laughs> and all the other gods are like, hey, whoa, 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 what, what's going on? Excuse me, because in Anna Ishtar, these goddesses are the embodiment of life and love and sex and joy, production, you know, all the stuff that we get up to here in the physical planes, right? All the things that we're doing here in the conscious realms. And all of the other gods and goddesses are like, what? Everything is breaking down. Everything is like the natural order is gone. Everything's turning to chaos. What is happening? And they send a polygendered entity to flit about throughout the realms. Very similar to the Persephone myth where they send Mercury, a polygendered deity, to go figure out where'd they go. Of course, Mercury already knows because Mercury knows everything. It's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go look for her. I don't know where she could be. Um, so this polygendered deity makes their way down to the bottom of the underworld to Edish Kagal's realm. And is like, <laughs> they are flipping out up there. Uh, we're going to have to get her back. <laughs> like, what are you doing? What is going on down here? And, and Eresh Kagal is saying, I'm, I'm doing my work. I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to do. I'm bringing this entity of light and life low. I am stopping them. That's my job is to bring them to stillness. And this entity is like, you know, can we trade you something? Like, what, what do we need to do? Like, and a variety of things happen depending on which version of the myth you're reading. But my favorite version of the myth is uh, Ereshkigal says simply, I need Inanna Ishtar to understand we're the same. That the light is the dark and the dark is the light. Um, and at that moment... Inanna Ishtar wakes up or comes back to life and hugs her sister and they become one entity for a moment. They blend into a single being. And then they separate again back into the two beings. And Inanna Ishtar says, I'm sorry for ignoring you. I, <laughs> we are the same being. I'm not separate from you. You are not separate from me. We are part of the same cycle. Um, I won't, I won't leave you again. And then she leaves <laughs> and she makes her way back up out of the lands of the dead, out of the underworld journey, back up to the physical realms. And an interesting side to that piece is that Ereshkigal says, um, a life for a life, uh, that, um, you can't just leave the lands of the dead Somebody has to take your place. And as Inanna Ishtar is making her way back up, she meets, you know, old friends and she meets her nursemaid from when she was a kid and she meets, you know, the person who made her sandals and she meets all of these cool people and they're cool, right? They're, they're not doing anything. They're just living their lives, being normal people. And she's like, I can't damn this person to the lands of the dead. They didn't do anything wrong. Like, this is not cool. 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to send this person back. And so it's one after another. And as she's passing through the gates, she's receiving her vestments back and her sacred girdle and her sandals and her jewelry and things like that. Her lapis necklace and such. And so she finally makes it up to the surface world. And she gets back to her castle. She gets back to her palace. And in the meanwhile, while she's been gone, her husband, Demuzi, has been living it up partying is like my wife is gone i'm in charge now i'm the baller check it out all the ladies come sit on my lap check it out let's do this and she's like you bitch and she sends him back to the lands of the dead <laughs> i mean i might be modernizing this tale a little bit uh, you can you're you're working with me i'm sure so what do we have with this myth right we have a lot of symbolism in this myth but what do we have with this one this time of year is about going into the dark. It's about going and meeting our shadow self, the underworld version of ourself, the private version of ourself, the secret version, the hidden version, the version of ourself that we may feel shameful about or have guilt around or, um, or think like, I'm not allowed to be this person. I'm not supposed to do this. And we go and embrace them and we incorporate that information. Something that I often say in the Samhain class, and I'll say here too in the Yule class, is if there are devils to be met on the underworld journey, they surely will come from your own heart. There is no evil demon out there coming to get you. It's, it's you. It's your bullshit. It's your own stuff that you have to find a way to get right with and not just tolerate learn to love, learn to understand this is what makes me unique. This is my secret gift that I have in this individual lifetime. This is me. This is part of my power. This is part of my essence. There's no need to be ashamed of this. I must incorporate this. Um, and as we do this work, we can't put that work off onto other people, right? To me, that's the metaphor of Inanna Ishtar making their way back up, ascending, right? They've gone to the lowest point. They're making their way back up, just like the sun after winter solstice. We're on the ascent. We have to continue that lesson over and over and over again. Nope, this is my work to do. No, this is my work to do. This is not, I cannot put this off on someone else. I can't blame other people. I can't expect other people to do this work for me. I have to do this work for myself. I have to step in and integrate this stuff of me, for me, with me. But also, when we get back from that work, right, <laughs> don't be surprised if we don't encounter some people in our lives that were taking advantage of our ignorance, that were taking advantage of those places where we weren't loving ourselves, where we weren't treasuring ourselves. There, We may discover that there are some people sitting in our throne and being like, oh, <laughs> um, I err, and send them to hell. <laughs> Or, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, <laughs> put their name on a piece of fire, uh, paper and burn it in the cauldron. You know, something something simple, right? Um, but but this, this tale, I think, is so incredibly important for us at Yule season because we are in the midst of this incredible biological moment, this incredible biorhythmic planetary mechanic. Um, and we get this gift every single year, every 365 days, we get this gift to go down into our own dark, face our own bullshit 
and learn to embrace it and love it and recognize it as these are not things that I need to get out of me. These are things that I need to more fully embrace and integrate into me and be and really embody and then come back up into the world again, not expecting anybody else to do this work for us and also not expecting other people to necessarily understand this work, right? A lot of this process is very, very subjective. Y'all thought we were going to just talk about mistletoe, didn't you? Now we get, we get into some real shit here in the classes. <laughs> I mean, make out under mistletoe. That's cool too. Um, but also this to me is the real heart of the Yule journey. Uh, and our, our, our capitalistic version that we have of it is, is pretty sinister in the face of this symbolism, isn't it? Think about what the Western world encourages you to focus on at this time of year versus this kind of work that you could be doing at this time of year. There's nothing wrong with making presents and giving them to people. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being jolly. Nothing wrong with ho-hoing, right? <laughs> God is blessed. Um, but clearly there is spiritual and psychological and personal work to be done at this time of year that is about being alone, going within, going into your own depths and sitting there for a minute and just hanging out with them for a while, listening to them and integrating them and learning to love them and incorporating that stuff and bringing that out for the next solar cycle and allowing that to be part of your power that you move into the world with in this next year. Just that people, just a little bit of witchcraft. Okay, so here are our esoteric helpers that we can use on our altars and things like that to guide us with that stuff. Um, but also, here are some of the minor arcana that we can work with as we are moving through Capricorn season in particular. Uh, the Two of Pentacles, the Three of Pentacles, and the Four of Pentacles. Yes, absolutely, Nova. Um, uh, and here... What we're saying in the Two of Pentacles is when we first start this process, we might want to really get our hands in and twist the dials and be like, don't I have to control this? No, I need to let the things rise that rise, let some stuff fall that falls, know that I'm not entirely in control of this process. I just need to be physically present for it. And then when we move into the Three of Pentacles, we can start to check in with some other people who have done this kind of work before and start to create the blueprint and start to build the temple literally, uh, that we are going to do our magical work in for this next year. And then the sun in Capricorn, the four of pentacles, the four of pentacles gets a little bit of a bad rap. I think it sometimes is classified as a, a point in our process where we're very overly concerned about the physical plane. But let's think about that point. Uh, by the time we are at the four of pentacles, astrologically, we're at the end of January. That's a cold, hard, bleak, for a lot of people, time of the year. A lot of folks have a very difficult time with seasonal affective disorder, especially towards the end of January and through February. It's sort of like, when is this going to end? And so I find that the Sun and Capricorn Four of Pentacles moment is sort of that like, I need to really embrace my body and embrace my 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 physical world um, and and really remember like, I'm here to embody this stuff. I'm here to actually bring this stuff into the physical world and that's going to be hard, but it's okay. 
Thank you so much for that breakdown of the work to be done. You're absolutely welcome. Yes, please. <laughs> please join me in the work. God damn it. <laughs> and also, blessed be. <laughs> so... Uh, these are some other helpers that we can put on our altar. I love utilizing tarot cards um, as uh, pictures on my altars. They're just these incredible snapshots that are filled with magical symbolism. Uh, we can study them. We can think about other tarot authors and uh, uh, interpretations and traditional interpretations. And then we can have our own subjective trip with them. Um, also, anytime we have the devil card out, it just freaks people out. And that's always fun. Um these cards are from the Smith weight deck, the Pamela Coleman Smith weight deck. Uh, and, um, yeah. So I find that the, the minor arcana are really, really helpful for us in terms of taking those big abstract ideas and finding ways to integrate them, uh, into our lived world, our conscious world, and sort of embody that stuff in practical, more pragmatic ways. Okay. So, that is our tarot. Where are we at? We've got 10 minutes left. Okay. I'm going to run through a little bit of our um, stuff. There's some more of that. Here we go. Okay. So for folks that are building altars this year and celebrating with friends, let's talk a little bit about the symbols that we might incorporate on our altars and just in the... Um, in the season in general and um, uh, stuff that we might be doing, our ritual work. Um, sorry, let me, read the, let me read this comment. Do you do any coaching on how to do this heavy bullshit and come out the other side alive and hopefully better for it? Yes, on my Patreon. <laughs> Join me on Patreon. Um, also, we do talk about this a lot in um, the weekly podcasts, um, but... Uh, 2023, I've got some stuff kind of planned, um, and, and something I've been toying with for a really long time is doing, like, literal witchcraft coaching for folks, um, like, one-on-one -on -one witchcraft sessions with people, and I, I just don't know what, I don't know what that should look like, and I also, uh, to be very frank, um, have a, ha I'm having a very difficult time reconciling charging money to do that work, um, and finding a way at the same time to find a proper energetic exchange. So send me an email. Let's talk about it. How about that? <laughs> you can email me through my through my website or send me a message on Patreon. Okay. Um, so thinking about symbols, um, we can utilize these. Um, Patreon for you. Maybe I need to bump it up to here. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so... We can utilize these symbols on our altars. We can wear stuff. Uh, we can use food. We can use jewelry. We can have a picture on our t-shirt. We can hang a poster, uh, whatever. One of my favorite ways to integrate symbols and all of the other plant helpers and the colors of the season and all of that stuff is to get out like a giant pad of paper and bust out the pastels or bust out watercolors and just make a big smeary, crazy mess of shapes and colors and, and things like that. Um, and, uh, and, and really just kind of let that stuff come through. Um, I find that to be one of the best ways you can just lay that down and actually have that as your own, like altar cloth as it were, or, or altar covering. You're welcome. Um, so 
symbols or images of the rising sun. You can also work with all this stuff like doing collage art as well. Very, very potent. Um, symbols of the rising sun, fire, candles, lanterns, and other sources of light. The Yule log, which we didn't talk about this year. <laughs> I didn't talk about evergreens this year at all. Um, briefly, um, the Yule log has a wild ass tradition to it. Um, it literally is a an evergreen tree that is chopped down. There's a lot of folklore around how to pick the tree, who's supposed to go get it. Um, oftentimes it's a it's a crew of people. Sometimes it's the youngest folks. Sometimes it's the oldest folks. Um, they go and get a tree. They drag it through town. And many folk tales tell of getting a tree that's so big that it has to stick out the front door while it's laying down. Like you don't close the front door. I don't know about that, but okay, sure. And then you jam it into the fireplace and you just keep pulling it into the, you light it on fire. You keep pulling it deeper and deeper into the fireplace. Um, lots of traditions around uh, divination with the Yule log, either just staring at it while it burns and looking for symbols or looking at the coal and ash uh, the next day after it has burnt out looking for symbols or um, putting nuts or other things into the fire uh, and letting them, um, it is, yeah, it's super fun. Um, uh, letting them crack in the fire and turn into stuff uh, and sort of doing divination from that. Did your nut crack open or did it not? Those portend various things throughout the next year. Um, evergreens in general. Um, making boughs and putting them around your home, making uh, sprays out of evergreen essential oils, etc., etc. Um, spirals, very big deal, right? We're literally, we have a constellation literally pointing at the spiraling center of our galaxy. So spirals are kind of a big deal. But the spiral idea is that we center into the, we move into the center, right? And then we pause and then we move back out again, out into the world, just like our our metaphorical symbolism that we're working with wheels that are spinning spinning wheels spinning the wheel and the goddess in white and really all animals that turn white at this time of year which i think i have it on another slide um but all animals that turn white at this time of year are um, potentially sacred animal helpers that we can work with um ritual forms Gathering with friends and family for multi-day celebrations. Why multi-day? Because, again, when we think about back in the day, it would have been really difficult to get from place to place. And so you go and you stay for, for a few days, and then you bundle up and make your way back home again. <laughs> um, but again, you know, our, our literal hol holy day is a three-day event. So why not mimic that? Um, jumping a bonfire, you know, witches, anytime we can set something on fire, we'll make an excuse to do so. Um, uh, wassailing and caroling. I have a, um, recipe for wassail, um, and some history about wassail in the, in the workbook. Um, uh, big competitions back in the day amongst English and other, uh, pubs, around the world um, to have the, the biggest wassail bowl or be able to drink the most at one time. Um, caroling, of course, a huge deal. And caroling also kind of hearkening to that idea of chaos and mischief um, and uh, appeasing the dead in a big way as well. A lot of our caroling traditions started with the idea of poor folks who were migrant laborers 
and now that the harvest is pulled in, there is no work for them, going from house to house and singing or caroling and then being allowed into the home and eat food on behalf of the dead ancestors that couldn't uh, sit at the table with them. <laughs> so he's a little spookier when we get into the history of it, isn't it? Uh, filling the house with light. That's one of my favorite things when I do winter solstice um, house parties or, or winter solstice rituals is to light a shitload of candles around the house and tuck them in everywhere and have every electric light on uh, in the house and at some point turn all the lights off and just let those candles radiate and then turn all the lights back on again. God bless if you blow a fuse. Sorry, don't sue me. Uh, kissing under the mistletoe, of course. If anybody wants to make out, let me know. Um, charitable acts, or even better, mutual aid acts and recognizing where you can help me and I can help you. Um, divining the new year, as we talked about at the beginning of class. Um, taking time to be alone as I have reiterated multiple times. And one of my favorite things that I will say in every single Sabbath class, walking in wild places. Uh, absolutely go outside and witness the death of Earth. It's huge. It's a big deal. Um, and reaffirming your spirituality or your philosophical or metaphysical practices, whatever that means for you. And then uh, just a little bit of uh, this. Oh, I think I have. Yes. Okay, cool. So also, if you are doing a winter solstice ritual, um, here are some meditations for you during that ritual. Um, you could journal this. You could read them out loud for yourself or whoever else is in the room. Um, but something to consider. Light is overcoming darkness. What is the light you shine? In the world? What symbols or archetypes and traditions from this time of year convey an idea of holiness for you? And it might be really potent to just journal on the word holiness for a while. What is that? What all does that bring up for you? And we have lost and gained a lot this year and in the last few years. What deep wisdom have you earned? And how are you going to use it going forward? These meditations were inspired by Galen Jalot's Book of Hours, Prayers to the Goddess, which is an incredible book. If you can find a copy of it, highly recommend picking it up. Um, and so to continue with our correspondences, um, here are some animal helpers for you to work with. You might just look in the world for this these entities to show up, or you might incorporate them in your ritual work. Um, food and drink. Any and all of this uh, is appropriate to make, eat, share, uh, or and have on your altar uh, as an offering that either is then put outside for the entities or something that we leave on the altar for a while. And then we eat as the humans, um, incense and oils that we can work with at this time of year. Very, very appropriate. And, um, mineral helpers that we can work with at this time of year. Again, you could put these on your altar. You could wear these as jewelry. Um, if you do gem essences, uh, you might, um, uh, make sure that obviously it's safe to consume it. Most of these, uh, are not <laughs> actually. Um, so you might 
take your essence and and have your crystal next to the bottle, not in the bottle. Um, and our plant helpers, obviously, that we're working with at this time of year. And that, my friends, is winter solstice. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me for this class. Uh, good luck out there. Um, this is the long night, and um, it is spooky. It is a little freaky, and it's okay. We have done this millions and millions of times, and we're going to do it another million times going forward in the future, right? You saw the world card in there. <laughs> We've all done this before. Um, uh, questions, comments, please reach out to me. Um, and uh, don't be afraid of the dark. It's in you. <laughs> it's part of you. And the sooner that we do this work as a species, the sooner that we can get on to creating whatever comes next. Blessed be.